Hello, everyone, and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. Today, we're going to be sitting down with Danielle Zuck, Developing and Marketing Director of Dorchester Paws, an organization dedicated to improving the lives of animals in Dorchester County, South Carolina. They take in every lost, abandoned, and abused animal and provide them with food, shelter, and the medical attention they need. Dorchester Paws is coming up on their 50th anniversary. That's 50 years of saving animal lives. That's why we were so excited to sit down with Danielle to reflect on the evolution of animal welfare over the decades, as well as the steps they're taking forward to better their community. If you like this episode, be sure to click that subscribe button to listen in on similar stories. Other than that, let's get started. Hey, Danielle, how are you doing? Good. How y'all doing? Really wonderful. I mean, we're not baking in the sun though. So I feel like (laughs) you have to let us know if you need a glass of water or something. We need to make sure that you don't pass out on us (laughs) from all that Southern heat, the humidity and all of it. It is our hottest day of the year. I feel like it was like 85 when we all woke up. Let's talk about Dorchester Paws. How did y'all get started? Our shelter actually is hitting its 50th anniversary this year. So we were first started as Francis R. Willis SPCA in July 31st of 1972. So We got started to primarily be a holding facility. Rabies was really crazy at the time. And we were built to be a holding facility for just what was going on 50 years ago. But we've been very fortunate to still be under the SPCA name. And we've rebranded in 2017 to be Dorchester Paws. But we have been trying to save animals for the last 50 years. Wow. It's amazing to think of what has happened in 50 years in animal welfare. (laughs) Our building is so old. It's fallen apart. It's decrepit in some places. We are doing, you know, lipstick on a pig over here, doing the best we can. But to the credit of everyone 50 years ago, you wouldn't have known what we needed now. So we are holding up our shelter. Unfortunately, it's in a flood zone. So every time it rains, we flood. And if the drains get clogged, we actually evacuate the shelter because the animals will be in one to two inches of water, which is not human by any means. So it is honestly insane to think about 50 years ago. Yeah. Even just you mentioning like rabies at the time, I feel like now, and I mean, I'm going to jinx us, but I feel like you don't hear about rabies being that prevalent distemper. Sure. There's a lot of other things that you hear about that really plague different shelter communities and crazy outbreaks. But like rabies, it feels old timey a little bit, like polio. Yeah, I mean, we still follow the proper DHEC rules and we will get the open quarantine and rabies. Fortunately, a lot of our animals do not have that and we can then kind of medically heal them and move them over to adoption. But you're right. I mean, 50 years ago, our entire campus is built on about maybe, let's just say three acres. And we have 180 kennels, but that only means 30 kennels on the adoption side. There's no 
let's just say nursing mother suites that some shelters have. There's no quarantine places, puppy pods, kind of post-surgery recovery wards. All of those, unfortunately, we don't have here. So we do our best to make sure that we keep the general pot diseases and all of the things down. But truth be told, I mean, we're just 180 kennels on campus. And today we just put pop-ups in our hallways so that we don't euthanize for space. So now we have dogs and cats living in pop-up kennels in our office, in our hallways. And we just issued a temporary moratorium again for, I think, our fourth time this year. Oh my gosh. What a credit to you though, because I feel like there is this idea behind euthanizing for space and having that like really big struggle that I think is so hard to comprehend. But I mean, you're going that extra step and having these pop-ups and doing everything you possibly can, squeezing in whatever animals you can safely, of course. That's such a testament to all your heart and the amazing people that are working there, right? It's a testament to that the animal welfare industry, things have to change. It's a true testament to this field, you know, in my opinion, everybody who works in it should be paid, you know, millions of dollars. It is unfortunate that typical salaries are not even at, you know, you can go to Taco Bell right now for $17, $18. And so for us, it's, you know, anybody who works there, I give so much credit to you and I applaud them every day because we see some really bad things and we see it on the more frequent weekly schedule. So to be able to go through that and just want to be able to make a difference when really at the end of the day, many employees aren't given the amount they need to survive. Veterinarians are in a shortage right now. We only have a part-time veterinarian here. Um, We only do spay and neuter every Tuesday and Friday. So if we did have more full-time support, we might be able to take care of more animals, but We took in about 3,900 animals in 2021, and we're already estimated to take in more than that this year. What you're seeing too, I think it is heartbreaking, especially after 2020. I think so many of us were like, maybe with rose-colored glasses, what a beautiful world it is in 2020. I met somebody the other day and they said, oh my God, isn't it beautiful? All the shelters are empty. And I, I didn't know what to say. I said, wait, huh? You know, like, and my face probably said it all, but she meant well. But yes, in 2020, 20, you know, we did. We had that one moment here. I wasn't here at the shelter then, but we had a Facebook video of just thanking our community. And it was beautiful. And I know other shelters felt the same and maybe other rescues. Today, we have animals and pop-ups. We have had dogs here who are good dogs. There can be around other dogs. It can be around children. You know, there's 225 days, our longest term residents sitting on in, in a kennel. And we have over 10 of those type of dogs that have been here for over 200 days. I wish we were empty, but I do hope people realize that the best thing they can do right now is really step up for their local shelter or rescue. Definitely. I think it really is so interesting to see how animal welfare has evolved over the past just two years, even. I think Best Friends just released their data study talking about, of course, 2021, the like huge amount of animals that came into shelters, but also the life-saving efforts were like ramped up significantly. And so it's like rescuers are like able to do more now. So I think that's so amazing. I think even from 2020, I wonder how many people suddenly had that aha moment of like, 
oh, these people, these rescuers, these shelters, they need us. I agree with you. I mean, we still have a lot of, I would say, community members who don't know how to help or they don't realize they could help in so many other ways versus just adopting or fostering. It is at large, volunteers truly, they literally save lives. They make a difference. But you know, for us down here, every penny counts. Like you can do a can, aluminum can drive in your community and we bring them and we get 55 cents, you know, a pound of cans and, you know, those kind of things that you can do donation drives and just overall help. But I, I really wish our community, you know, a lot of people will not come to our campus because we are so old. Some people in the community still call us the pound, you know, or they don't realize what the industry really needs. And it, you know, it just, it crosses the gamut. So, I mean, truly the, just spreading the message every day is so valuable still. And I just wish, you know, more people would do it. I mean, you've done such a good job already, just painting a picture of what your struggles are with the shelter and what the building is like. And clearly you guys are turning a, a penny around and, and making it work for you like as hard as it possibly can. I'm wondering if you could maybe give us a little bit more color when it comes to like your community. With a shelter that's been around for 50 years, I know historically a lot of shelters were located like right next to a, like a dump or in like areas where no one else wanted to. What is it like at Dorchester Paws? That's a great question. I mean, I would say to me, it's Disney World because I love coming to work every day and I want to make a difference. But you're right. In our town, we are close to our downtown, our downtown Somerville area, but we were built on, let's just call swamp and marsh, right? We were already built in a flood area. So forget about when it rains, kind of what gets compacted. So if you pull into Dorchester Paws, you're going to see a lot of greenery. It's a long driveway to drive in. You know, and we do the best, like you were saying, with our monetary donations, but our budget, 87% of our budget comes from public donation and grants, 87. We are not a county-run facility. We are a private shelter that receives 13% of funding from the county and animal controls under the county. And they'll probably bring us more than half of our animals for the year. 74 cents of every dollar does go to animal care. We do not pay high-end salaries. We don't really have a lot of overhead. And so when people come in, like volunteers have to be the ones mowing the lawn and landscaping and weeding, painting, power washing. We get everything donated if we can because we try to make good first impressions. But it's such a struggle here because, you know, it is just a building built on a building, you know, and it's beautiful to us. But to the outside, that could really sway, your, you know, adopting an animal that day when you pull in on this long driveway with just unmained trees that have been there for 50 years or whatever. And then you get to our facility, there's not a lot of parking and it's really hot. There is no breeze half the time. And so if you think about it, once you first walk in, we have a very small lobby attached to our cat adoption floor. And if you need to make that first introduction, that could really sway you wanting to go to the dog adoption floor. We have indoor and outdoor kennels. Some facilities don't have those anymore. So we do have rodent issues because when you have indoor outdoor kennels, So, you know, stinks were big last month, mice are big in the fall, this, that, and the other. So, you know, we've painted the courtyard a yellow brick road. Our dog kennels kind of go in maybe like a, like a weird W or a stretch out Z kind of thing, but it's still just in the back of the facility. And every dog is kind of trying to win over your love over the next, right? By barking and our cat rooms are kind of all spread out. And currently we have cats and pop-ups. So for us, 
the building isn't this beautiful lobby when you walk in with all this merchandise and all this spay and neuter information and all these low costs and or just resources for the public. We have a door that says our lobby and we have a door that says emissions. And we have revamped our missions to be more of a pet service, pet support service department. We're new to that changing mindset, but kind of back to what we were saying in the next 50 years, I don't know what we don't want. We actually don't want animals in the shelter. Literally keep your animal, but what do you need? Do you need a behavioral hotline? Do you need access to food pantry? Do you need just low cost resources with clinics or vaccines or what have you? So that's what we really need to focus on. But again, the public will come in and have It depends on their first impression if they're going to adopt or not. Do you find because of that, because of maybe the physical appearance, have you guys dabbled in like, I hate to call it marketing, but like virtual marketing, like videos, like social content, things like that? Because I I know maybe pulling up and, and, and coming and seeing things in person, maybe not give the greatest first impression, but when you see it virtually, it might entice people to go in. Yeah. I mean, I know we did a lot of virtual during 2020. Could we be probably doing more? Yes. We'll do videos showing our animals in their kennels and their cages just to show people that this is their reality. Unfortunately, I think there's a delicate balance of how much sad you show. And people do think that things that you show them are sad, um, happy. Everyone kind of has a different stomach when it comes to those things. So I find the balance to be really difficult. But, you know, for instance, right now, all of our adoptions are, wait, they're sponsored. So you literally can come in and not that we use the word free, but you could come in and get an animal that's sponsored. And all you need to do is buy a leash and a collar to go home with. Wow. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. It is. I don't know where all the people are, but we have this amazing promotion going on. It seems like there's so many, I hate to like harp on like struggles, but even just being a little bit out of the way, long drive. It's not like you're going to get foot traffic in the middle of all these trees. It's not like someone's going to stumble upon and be like, oh, let's go check out some dogs. <laughs> and if people do that, they're probably doing something weird. <laughs> you're absolutely right. I mean, we have purchased new land. That was our big development for the end of 2021. We've spent $1.1 million on this beautiful piece of property, 6.8 acres in what would be a more highly desirable area at the crossroads where we have a lot of, like probably most areas of the country, a lot of developments being built. So for us, that will give us so much foot traffic. We're not there yet in terms of getting the funding for a new building to be able to open a new building, but at least we're excited about being in a more desirable location one day. Is the plan to move entirely over there or will you keep the site that you're at right now? Oh, I don't actually know. Our capital campaign and our steering committee is very focused on, on making all those plans. I think it's too soon to tell. I think we're just trying to iron out all the funding right now. That is so exciting though, because even from what you were saying earlier about like 50 years ago, how could they anticipate that you'd be where you are today? I love that you're looking forward and saying like, hey, we see that we're still such an important asset to the community we're securing our place in the future so that we can better serve the community. And like you said, you don't want animals in the shelter, but then your front and center is saying, hey, how can we help you keep your animal? Hey, how can we serve you and, and serve the pets in your community? That's so wonderful. Thank you. I mean, I think everyone in the industry is doing their part. 
the other day I had to SOS a few friends in the industry to say, what are y'all doing? You know, what could we be doing different here to get more animals and homes quicker? I know a lot of people are struggling, a lot of rescues or everyone is just so full and kind of feeling the same. I'm proud of what we do here. We will eventually be able to open up the first low cost spay and neuter clinic in the county, which will be so instrumental. But today I'm proud that, you know, even as of Saturday coming up, we in a partnership with Chewy, we're giving out over 35,000 pounds of food plus supplies to the community first come first serve. It's a temporary band-aid. You know, we're not here saying everyone is going to get a year's supply of food, but we're also, you know, because of our amazing sponsors, giving out microchips and free rabies and free vaccines. Uh, now, granted, not everybody who comes is going to, you know, we only have one vet and it's although so much time. But again, we're trying to do our part now in little ways. And I think the uneducated communities don't understand that, you know, we're just trying to be a band-aid solution until these greater ideas come to fruition for all of us in the shelter world. When we're all looking for funding, it's hard to put a lot of things into place that you wish you could. I love that so much. We've been getting involved in too are a lot of pet pantries around the country. And you just even think, I mean, this shows my age, I think, as a millennial. <laughs> even we just got out of Mercury in retrograde. And I'm just like, sometimes all of a sudden you've parked your car and someone hits it and that's like this big expense. And you never know, like someone that's living paycheck to paycheck, how that can impact their entire life and how inevitably that could snowball into they need to move. They need to get rid of their animal. They need to do all these things. So I love that you're stepping in on whatever level and being like, hey, we're doing what we can to get you covered. Here's your next bag of dog food, at least you're covered until you need more, you know? That is our absolute hope. I, I mean, we wish we could do more. And, um, you know, I think there was an article that went out about a month ago that has actually changed the way I think about my job from a marketing and development standpoint. But it was an article published by Haas or Haas, however, you know, you say it, you know, all about having compassion. You know, one of our true values here is compassion with compassion, meaning, you know, when somebody has to make that ungodly hard decision to surrender their pet, it doesn't mean that they're a bad person or they've done anything wrong. Times are just really tough for all and moments in everyone's life don't always add up the way they need to. So I think that article just really shook me a little bit because I think we're all first to judge. I get the cuddly emails and I see other social media posts and I'm ready to charge forward and find the person and and then I'm not necessarily, you know, anybody who does any medical harm, but just the people who have to surrender, it's not an easy time for them. And I think our industry has to champion those who can't afford the vet bills. They can't afford the medical costs. They can't afford, sometimes they go in the hospital, you know, where's their, they can't afford boarding or they just need a pet taxi. And could we help build fences or give proper dog homes to those that can give love, but they just believe a dog should live outside and all those different things. That's what I wish for the future. That's what I wish for myself and my daily trainings to how I can do better is just, you know, how can we provide compassion with the resources we have? And obviously everything comes down to money and, and resources, but our industry has to change and the community hopefully will champion how to help us. Oh, what you're saying is just music to my ears. It's so wonderful. 
it is the kind of thing I think you just read one article or you have like some aha moment where I'm like, oh yeah. And when you're going through a hard time, who's there for you except for your pet? So the idea of having to like surrender that animal, it probably has a doubly horrific impact on the person that had to do it. They're like, now I've lost the thing I cared about the most. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, through the eyes of our public, you know, again, we're doing this event on Saturday and we've not done one of these before. And some people are mad at us because we're not giving to the shelters, but they don't realize we give all of our shelters. We email every day, who needs what? This is through a program through Chewy that you actually have to give it to pet owners. But just the other day, somebody was emailing saying, I have seven dogs. And somebody said, I have three cats and I don't judge. And I, I hope we can give them as much as they need. But that's, you know, nobody should say, oh, I why did they have all these animals? And I understand how you could feel that way. But truth be told, if you can give love, like at the end of the day, I know when I come home, my three dogs are literally my world. And if I didn't have them, I don't know how I would survive. People are always going to find something to be mad about anyway. <laughs> that's what I've seen. I'm like, you'd be doing the purest thing out of the goodness of your heart. And someone will be like, well, why aren't you doing this? I love what you're doing. I think that's amazing. And it's such a great chance to get out in front of your community and say like, hi, we're here all the time. That's exciting too. I know you said you're new to the organization. Well, relatively new. You have a lot of animals that are coming in all the time. I'm wondering if there's any stories that have inspired you or if you've got any happy tales to tell us. <laughs> oh, that is a great question. I am new. I'm actually very new to South Carolina as well. So I started in animal welfare in New Jersey. A little bit different just in the terms of, I don't think I necessarily was very prepared. Laws are different in every state, every county, every town. Where I came from, spay and neuter was maybe a little bit more prevalent. Things like that, again, beliefs, personal beliefs and don't want to get into anything political or belief-wise, but point is, for me, my first week here, I got to train as a kennel tech. So, you know, some positions call them animal care technicians or animal tech. Point is, and I got to just be in the nitty-gritty every day learning our process and, and procedure. But that first week, we took in a Mastiff, and we called him Big Man. He was shot four times because he was roaming on somebody's property. He was looking for food. He was not in endangerment of the livestock, but in this county, if you feel that the animal is endangering your livestock, you can shoot it. And so that was maybe at like 12 o'clock. And then, then at two o'clock was a cat thrown in a ditch. And at four o'clock was a dog who had an embedded collar on it that, you know, and I, and I think that because I may not have seen that in a year in New Jersey, but I saw it in a day down here. And it's just impactful to me. All of those three animals are in beautiful homes right now. They are thriving. I just, I saw what a almost rural shelter could do for these three animals just by asking the public. We didn't have Cuddly then. We didn't really use the platform, but we just peer-to-peer fundraise on Facebook and social and just said, we need your support through our Michael's Healing Heart Fund that is set up so that we don't have to make tough decisions without funding. So we have like a little bit in the bank account to kind of pay it forward. And then we hope to recoup it for every animal. The point is that day, that day sticks out still. And I've only been here for seven months, but that moment of how do you care for these animals with just not a lot of resources? We don't have x-ray machines and we don't have a full surgery suite. Our surgery suite doesn't even have a window. So that day sticks out because it was a, how do we actually pull that off here? And oh my God, we pulled it off three times. 
And that doesn't account for any of other animals we took in. But since then, I'd say my happy tales are the underdogs. It's the underdogs who you'll take out and you'll take them to the beach because we're about an hour away from the beach and you'll give them an hour shelter break or you'll give them an all day and you'll get photos of them, things like that. So those happy tales are when you get to foster. I mean, I probably, I'm sure y'all do too. I take home foster dogs all the time and just giving them the peace of mind. We kind of like the medical stories. We had a little infirmary at my house once. We had two medical fosters just for one night, but it was cute because we turned our living room into an infirmary. And those are the moments because now you get to see them get adopted and go into beautiful homes and tell their stories. That another great happy tale that's recent is we'd use Cuddly. You know, we finally signed up with y'all and we got going and we used you for Haven, this dog that lost his leg. He was hit by a car and it was just in ungodly shape. And he had a ton of other things going on. And then a woman came in and she was absolutely in awe and it was his person, you know, and that was last month. And then this month we have Zachary who is meeting, hopefully his adopter on Thursday, but he was hit by car, brought back to his owners, given a week, a week for a welfare check. Our animal control went out after a week and they didn't take care of him. And he was also chained to an outdoor dog house. And now his nose is in a heart shape, I swear. He is happy-go-lucky, wagging his tail. Like he is just the best dog and he is going to make the best life for anybody. And I can't wait for Thursday to come around. It's like Christmas here. So, you know, just a holiday that you're looking forward to to see that animal get placed at home. So those are the victim to victory stories that keep me going every day. You're keeping me going right now. (laughs) I know. I'm like, just like seeing you smile when you're talking about Zachary made me like subconsciously smile knowing how happy you are for him and how in those like medical cases you do get to see them at rock bottom. Yes. At their worst period in time, but then you also get to see them literally go what is like rags to riches or, you know, you get to see them making a completely 180. hundred percent. I have to ask though, as someone who's been doing this really intensive rescue shelter work for seven months, If your first day was those three cases, that's a lot. I'm wondering if there's anything that you've seen from other staff or something that you've adapted yourself to be able to be a little bit more like resilient and to be able to handle those really hard cases and hold out for those happy moments. I think for us, it's, I know we'll do whatever we can to save that animal. And it's my job to make sure we have the funds to help that animal. So That kind of is my challenge to myself. I think that mental health is tough in this industry. You know, you have to keep yourself okay and in line. And I know I, you know, I fall out of balance all the time. We have a couple of things here that have really helped me. Like we have our why, like our why, like what's your why? Why are you here? And we just put the board up, but you can just put a photo or you can, maybe it's a letter. It's like, what's the story that keeps you here and what, you know, makes you get out of bed every day? And then we also have a sensory garden that we've built that our behavioral team has built. And you can take a dog through and, you know, just it can sense different things and kind of stimulate from an enrichment standpoint. But there are logs in there and you can write names on the logs of the ones that maybe you couldn't save or the ones that we weren't able to help. So I think there's a few things, but what keeps me going is I know we're going to do everything we can. I know others in the industry are in the same position. 
I think that helps me too, not to compare or contrast, but I know I'm not alone. I may not know anybody in, at other shelters or at other parts of the world. I come from corporate America, so I don't you know, have a, a full, a big network, but I do know others are struggling at the same, even at the shelters and rescues that do have a lot of donors or maybe are a little bit more prominent with their funding. I know they're still struggling too. So it's a universal, we're in it together kind of motivation, I guess, that helps. I think that's so amazing. It's going to keep you going in a way that we need people like you to keep going. So I think that's that's such wonderful takeaways. I'm so excited to be able to get the story out there. I think it it sounds like you're just doing so, so much. You've got big plans for the future. I think that's really exciting. We always like to ask some kind of fun questions. Do you have personal pets or fosters at home? I do have personal pets at home. I have three dogs. I have two rescues. I met my husband and he had a dog prior to us meeting, but we have a rescue from um, Alabama. Her name is Bama. And we have a rescue from Nashville named Nashville. They're hoping to add Carolina to the mix very soon. But we found that medical fostering was kind of like our jam, you know, because you can see them. But yes, I have three dogs at home and about 180 animals here that I consider my own. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, so we have to hear, is there something that stands out as like the naughtiest thing that you've ever seen an animal do? Oh God, naughtiest? Oh yeah. (laughs) It's interesting. I have learned so much coming in this industry and so much coming in under the professionals that, you know, have taken me under the wing, not knowing laws or just how things work or terminology. I think the other day I was trying to describe a dog and finally our behavioralist was, you know, she said, you need to read the book that, you know, dogs, you know, have lemon brains. It's about not associating human personality traits with your dog. Sometimes you'll say like, you know, I'll say at home, my dog is spiteful because I've been gone all day, you know, things like that. But I would say the naughtiest thing, I mean, is just the dogs that I do think they get a little tooed with you, you know, or whatnot. But if I read the book, I'll probably have a different answer. But I don't have anything like naughty. I think all dogs are beautiful and all cats. I don't know. God, what have other people said? (laughs) There are lots of things. I think one that sticks out to me is one hopped a fence, pooped on the floor, then the Roomba took the dog because oh, no. then the dog hopped back over the fence. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh my gosh. I oh my gosh. No, maybe they make them different in, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. in South Carolina. More of the story. Maybe don't get a Roomba. Although we do love all sponsored products. <laughs> <laughs> Next one. Wondering you came from New Jersey. Are there any other animal welfare organizations that you really look to and you're like, oh, they're doing it right. I love them. You're a big fan of? You know what? I have a few that are internationally that just inspire me every day. You know, there's one in Greece. This guy just started with one dog and I don't know how many he has. I want to say it's a it's a couple hundred, but I just love the work they're doing because they live so minimally and care. You know, I, I look at Soy dog in Thailand. There's a woman in Costa Rica who got land donated and now she's got like a thousand dogs like roaming on her acreage. You know, obviously internally, we look at best friends, you know, you know, partners at Humane Society, but I, I follow everybody. You know, I follow a lot in Texas. I feel like if anybody in Texas can get up every day and do what they do after what they see, you know, Florida, California, a lot of the states that are still red that don't have no kill status. I try to follow those 
So I actually like to follow the underdogs because I like to see how I can help or just learn or just support. But yeah, I mean, Austin Pets Alive in Texas is one that I've been following a lot lately and just all of the forums try to read every day. I love. And then I know you're in marketing and development. So as an organization, I'm wondering if you have a little saying or a little quote, something that keeps you inspired, keeps your team inspired to keep going. Oof. I mean, my personal quote is, if you love dogs, that's all I need to know about you. And if you don't love dogs, that's all I need to know about you as a person. So I can move on. <laughs> Internally, I, I don't think we have a mantra. I mean, we have our mission. We have our core values. Our saying is just all hands on deck. What do we got to do? Literally, we're a 25-person staff here that does everything. And you know, it's just what, what has to be done today. You kind of check your ego at the door and figure it out when you're inside. You're my kind of organization. I love that so much. Thank you. <laughs> Danielle, it was so nice talking to you. We're so excited for everything you're going to do. Thank you so much for chatting with us today. Yeah. And thanks for having us I, you know, and, and supporting our mission and the animals of Dorchester Paws. We were so glad we were able to have Danielle on in honor of their 50 years of animal rescue. It's really so amazing to see how far we've come and how far we have to go still. I think it really just shines a light on how important this line of work is. If you want to learn a little bit more about Dorchester Paws, you can check our show notes or our blog. And as always, remember to rate, like, and subscribe to this podcast. And be sure to follow Cuddly on all social media accounts at We Love Cuddly. that's C-U-D-D-L-Y. Thanks, guys.